Cade Mila Falta. Welcome to the Letter from Ireland show, where we travel in the footsteps of your Irish ancestors, visiting their homelands and telling their stories as they put down roots in so many places around the world. Welcome back to the Letter from Ireland show. You're listening to Series 1, Episode 18, and it's great to have you with us. As you know, in the show, we like to visit the places of your Irish ancestors and bring their stories to life. Before we start, though, do remember that any resources or references we mention in this episode can be found in the show notes at aletterfromireland.com forward slash 118. In preparation for today's show, I was looking up some past letters from Ireland and I noticed that we have not discussed religion here on our podcast for a while. And as we say in Ireland, isn't that a fright to God? If truth be told, there are two subjects we in Ireland try hard to steer clear of discussing, especially with strangers. Can any of you guess which these two topics of conversation are? What is it that we try so hard to avoid talking about? Well, politics is one, and as you probably guessed, the other we try to avoid discussing is religion. Given our history, we tread very carefully around these two issues. That's not to say we aren't interested. Oh, we certainly would like to know your political and religious allegiance when we first meet, but we will never, never ask you that straight out. Now, have you ever wondered what religion maybe your own Irish ancestors were? I'm sure some of our listeners have stories to tell of their own ancestors and how religion came to define the course of their lives. Perhaps they left Ireland because of marrying someone from a different religion, or they felt discriminated against because of their religious beliefs. If so, do write and let me know. In the first letter, we hear the story of a courageous young man who followed his dreams, left Cork, Ireland in the 1600s and set up home in the new land of America where his family name was given to the new province where he and thousands like him settled. We hear how his family disagreed with his change of religion and he was disinherited of land and title. So he struck out for a new land and a new life. Would you like to know in which part of the States all this took place? Well, I'll let you know in a little while when we read the first letter. But just a short word about our second letter, where things happen in reverse. And we look at another group of people who, unlike those fleeing Ireland in our first letter, these people in our second letter arrive in Ireland seeking religious freedom. How do they fare, I wonder? Do they stay or leave again? Many of our readers have ancestors who spent time in Ireland but left again, and they wonder why. Our second letter will be of interest to you folks, and their religion, well, we'll get to that later. So let's start with our first letter today entitled From Cork to Pennsylvania. One of our readers, Noni Morrison, was on sharing the story of one of her Mani ancestors. Before I say Noreen's letter, I'd just like to say that here in Ireland, in Cork especially, we pronounce M-A-H-O-N-E-Y, Mani. 
I know some people say Mahoney and such like. Now, back to Noni's letter. Noni says, I don't think I mentioned my husband's line of Manis when I first spoke to you. They left from Dublin around the 1800s, and the next place I remember that they were was in Tennessee, working in the lumber industry. Within a few generations, at least, they were Quaker and intermarrying with other Quaker families from Ireland. I'm wondering if perhaps being Quaker had something to do with the emigrant Mani. This was in the time that the Quaker religion was very strong here, but within another generation or so, they mostly became Methodists, following the rise and fall of interest in religion across America's frontiers. Anything more you can tell us about this would be of great interest. Well, thanks for that question. And the first thing I can say, Noni, is that your Mani or Omani ancestors may have left from Dublin, but at one stage they were certainly living in County Cork, where Omani is one of our major surnames. Across the other side of County Cork on the east side, also, you will find an area associated with a religious movement known as the Religious Society of Friends, but mostly known to us today as the Quakers. Now, how about the rest of our readers? Do any of your ancestors have ties to the Quakers? Well, while your own ancestors may not have been associated with the Quakers, we do know that many of them left Ireland in the aftermath of the Great Famine of the 1840s. The authorities of the day dithered in their reaction to the crop failures and starvation, first denying, then insisting that starving and weakened people take part in labour projects to earn their food. All decisions with catastrophic consequences. But not everybody felt the same way. The Quakers of East Cork and West Waterford, they had a more pragmatic approach. They felt that a starving person needed food and quickly at that. So they set up a number of soup stations, keeping whole families alive during the famine. They had no agenda, no expectations in return, merely doing what they felt was their moral Christian duty to help another fellow human in distress. As a result, there are many commemorative plaques recalling the support of the Society of Friends in this part of the country. The Religious Society of Friends, also known later as the Quakers, were founded in England about 1647 AD, and they established a power base in the north of that country. They arrived over to the north of Ireland about 1654 AD and spread to various parts of the country from there often attracting disaffected English soldiers and their families who inhabited the various barracks across the island. For now, though, let's travel back to County Cork. If you go to the small village of Shanagari in East Cork today, you'll find the fine ruins of Shanagari Castle. A certain young gentleman by the name of William Penn was schooled in this house by a Quaker tutor named John Lowe. William Penn was 15 at the time, and Lowe apparently left a large impression on the man who went on to found the colony of Pennsylvania. When his father, Admiral William Penn, later became ill, young William Penn returned to Ireland to manage the family estate. 
While there, he started to attend Quaker meetings, and he finally joined the Quakers in Cork at the very young age of 22. His family were furious at this decision, and he was immediately disinherited of land and title. However, over the next number of years, Penn's father had a change of heart as he witnessed his son's moral stand and resoluteness excuse me, through his missionary work, as well as a series of arrests and imprisonments that he endured. While close to death, William Penn Sr. managed to get the Crown to agree to protect young William, in return for his own dedicated service down through the decades. In the late 1670s, William Penn Jr. proposed a mass emigration of Quakers from England to a Quaker region in the colonies of North America. The Quakers, under the leadership of young Penn, purchased and were granted about 45,000 square miles of land in the colony of West Jersey. The region was renamed first to New Wales, but then was changed by King Charles II to the name Pennsylvania, in honour of William Penn Sr. And so began Penn's what was called Holy Experiment in the new province of Pennsylvania. Penn went about selling the new colony to prospective settlers and attracted many from of the, many of the persecuted minorities across the countries of Europe Mennonites Catholics Huguenots Jews and Lutherans were attracted to this new colony he aimed to set up an ethical society that was built on a solid legal framework I won't say much more on the history of this new province, as I'm sure there are many listening in from Pennsylvania. You could all do a much better job than I. But let's get back to Noni Manny's ancestor from the top of this letter. When her ancestor arrived in the USA in the late 1700s, he may have been without family and kin, but he also had the societal pressures of his homeland lifted from his shoulders for the first time in his life. And as he moved to the frontier territory, the message of the Quakers and their emphasis on self-determination, religious tolerance and non-hierarchy, now that must have held an attraction to so many of these frontier men. And my guess is that he converted to Quakerism sometime after the arrival and after his arrival, sorry, in the U.S., also, as she says, many of these early Quakers changed to Methodism over time, a religion that offered a very similar philosophy to that of William Penn and his fellow colonists. It seems that Methodism won out over time, with over 7 million Methodists in the USA today against only 150,000 Quakers. However, the good deeds of these members of the Religious Society of Friends during the famine, is still remembered across Ireland in commemorative plaques all around the land. And those of you listening in from Pennsylvania, you must come back to Cork and visit the Penn Homestead and Shanagari Castle and see where Pennsylvania got its name. Now, that would be a worthwhile trip, wouldn't it? And by the way, there is a lovely coffee and pottery shop nearby where you can sip your tea and gaze on the castle ruin. And so that brings us to the end of our first letter, and I hope you enjoyed the story of the Quakers and Pennsylvania. Thanks to Tononi and Hermani relations for
for triggering our walk down memory lane. Staying with religion, in our second letter, we look specifically at the Palatine religion and we discover how some listeners' ancestors came to live in Ireland and how religion played a part in this movement back to Ireland. We also mention the counties and surnames associated with Palatines. Some of these surnames are still found in Ireland today, and they're familiar to us here in Cork. One surname is linked with a famous shopping emporium, and that surname in particular brings back memories of shopping expeditions for me when I was a little girl, as the surname is linked with a famous shopping emporium. I wonder, can you guess that name? I promise to let you know later on in the letter. So do you know if some of your ancestors belong to this group? Perhaps you'll recognize a surname from your own family tree as I'm reading along. Here on the letter, we love to fill in some of the puzzle of your Irish ancestry trail. So let's begin the second letter entitled From the Banks of the Shannon. We have a lot of readers whose ancestors arrived in Ireland and their descendants emigrated again a few generations later. I'm often asked questions about when an ancestor may have arrived in Ireland and the reasons that caused their family to leave again. Recently, I received the following from Corey Shires. My name is Corey Shire and I live in San Bernardino County, California, USA. The following is from a family history letter I received from my parents a while back. My great-great-great-grandfather, Jacob Shire Jr., was born at Court Mattress, Limerick County, Ireland, back in 1775, and he later moved to the town of Adair. He then moved to Brock Township, Ontario, Canada, with his wife, Anne Sparling, and all his family in 1833. His great-grandfather was born in Germany, and I assume that he, at some point in time, moved from Germany to Ireland. When and from where to where, I do not know, as we don't have any information on any of them. I would dearly like to know any information that you may have on my family or the town of Adair. How would I be able to locate any remaining Shire family that would still be there? Best regards, Corey W. Shire. Thanks, Corey. In your question, you assume that your Shire ancestors moved from Germany to Ireland at some point. But when, you ask? Well, as luck would have it, this is one of those occasions that can, we can be quite accurate. The Shire family arrived in Ireland in the autumn of 1709. You might be asking, how can we be so sure? Well, here is what history tells us. The Rhineland Palatine was found in the southwest of Germany on the borders with France. Over the course of the 17th century, a population of German Protestant farmers and wine growers established themselves in the area. However, it was a volatile area in which to live, and by the early 18th century, the Roman Catholic armies of France frequently used the area as a battlefield, and they felt justified in burning the crops of these Protestant natives and generally making their lives miserable. This, combined with a series of bad harvests, led to a group of about 13,000 Palatines heading up the River Rhine to Amsterdam. There they sought refuge, 
where they could freely practice their Protestant faith and simple way of life. About 3,000 of these refugees further traveled to the colonies of New York and the Carolinas. But the group also caught the attention of a number of landlords in Ireland. They were looking to increase the population of Protestant settlers on their land. And so another 3,000 of the refugees made their way to a number of Irish estates across County Carlow, Tipperary, Wexford, Kerry and Limerick in the early 1700s. Among this group, yes, Corey, was the Shire family who settled in Castle Matrix near the village of Rathkeel in County Limerick. The local landlord was Sir Thomas Southwell, and he settled about 300 of these families on his estate. However, many of these Irish settled Palatine families did not settle at all. Many decided that the country was not for them, so within months the majority had returned to England and Germany. Of those that stayed in Ireland, the most successful colony was that in County Limerick that you mentioned. But 1720, then, the Palatines across Ireland consisted of about 180 families, and over 100 of these were actually in Limerick. Throughout the rest of the 18th century, the families intermarried among themselves and with the other Protestant settlers. They established further settlements then in the area. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, visited the area many times and many families converted to Methodism under his influence by the 1700s. However, by those same late 1700s, many of their lease agreements on the land had expired and the local families were subject to untenable rent increases. And this was known at the time as rent racking This same rent racking caused many of the Ulster Scots families of the north of Ireland to head to the colonies of North America to try their luck there at the time. This factor, combined with weather-related crop failures and cholera outbreaks, encouraged a number of Palatine families to try their luck in the newly established lands and townships of North America. And so, Corey Shire's family arrived in the new township of Brock in Ontario in the mid-1830s. But many Palatine families stayed and remain in the area to this day. You can still find plenty of Shires, Switzers, Bakers and Youngs within the region, including many more Palatine names. If you look at the Census of Ireland of 1901, you will see the Shire name is still well established around Rathkeel. By the way, Switzers was the name of that department store where I was taken to on my shopping treats as a young girl. So, Corey, I hope you have a chance to visit the lovely part of Ireland around the villages of Adair and Rathkeel and enjoy the places and sites of your ancestors and maybe even meet a few of your cousins along the way. How about the rest of you? Do you have any Irish Palatine names in your family tree? And were any of those Palatine names that I mentioned in your own family tree? So there you have it. Isn't it amazing the part religion has played in the story of some of our ancestors' tales? And even forced some to strike out to new lands in order to prosper, raise families and have religious freedom. Well, we've come to the end of our chat for this week and it was great to have your company as we explore our shared Irish heritage. I do hope you've enjoyed listening to the Letter from Ireland show where we bring your Irish ancestry to life. 
Oh, before I forget, do you like French wine or poetry maybe, or perhaps both? If so, do be sure to tune in to next week's show where we'll have a look at how all this connects with our own Irish heritage. Finally, remember that the show notes for this podcast are available at a letterfromireland.com forward slash 118. Just before we go, thanks again for listening. And if you've enjoyed today's Letter from Ireland show, we invite you to check out our special membership area called The Green Room. You can find full details of The Green Room at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. And remember there, green room is all one word. The Green Room is the essential resource for anyone at any stage in researching their Irish heritage. It's where we delve into all the good stuff to help you break down those brick walls and connect the pieces in your Irish ancestry puzzle. You get access to online genealogists, extensive research tools, quick win training, as well as member-only access to johngrenham.com and a supportive, active community to help you along the way with feedback and advice. The Green Room is the perfect place to be for anyone starting or continuing their Irish ancestry search. So do come and join us at a letterfromireland.com forward slash green room. Well, that's it for me. And I'll be back next week with another installment of the Letter from Ireland show. Look forward to chatting with you then. Slán Karina.